Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 14. In the new reality that finds us more isolated than ever before, may we be drawn to the realities of Christ that provide comfort and reassurance to us, knowing that everything is going to work out in the end. In this episode, we are going to be hearing from Brian Joyce on a message entitled Realities That Reassure. This message is taken from John 14. Thank you for joining this podcast. Today, I am going to consider John 14. Jesus is reassuring the troubled hearts of his disciples, and the truth that he gave to them is still good for us thousands of years later. In fact, in light of our present problems with COVID-19, They are very applicable. Let's read verses 1 to 6. The words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have all had crisis points in your lives at one point or another, times when important decisions have to be made, or when news comes that turns your life upside down, or when you're faced with something unexpected or unwanted, times when the bottom has dropped out, when you sit across from the doctor only to hear that you have cancer. When your boss apologizes as he hands you the pink slip. When your son or daughter walks out in anger. When the only one who uh, stabilized your life just died. When your world as you know it is crumbling around you. When hope vanishes. When you are forced to stay inside because of a deadly virus that is spreading uh, around the world and claiming the lives of thousands. When, you're, when you are unable to gather with your church family as you once did, the days we are living are crisis times. This is exactly where the disciples were in John 14. The lives of these men was turned upside down. Have you ever heard the story of Chippy? Chippy is a bird, a parakeet. It's funny, but, but sad. Let me tell it to you. Chippy never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, sending a song into the air. The next second he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She had stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and feathers that had uh, fallen to the bottom of the cage when the phone rang. Instinctively, she turned to pick it up. 
She had barely said hello when swoop, Chippy got sucked in. She gasped, let the phone drop, and switched off the vacuum. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. There was Chippy, alive but stunned, and covered with heavy gray dust. She grabbed him and rushed to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under the torrent of cold ice water, power washing him clean. Then it dawned on her that Chippy was soaking wet and shivering. So so she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the closest hairdryer and blasted him with hot air. Did Chippy survive? Yes, but he doesn't sing very much anymore. He just sits and stares a lot. It's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. It's enough to steal the song from any stout heart. These men, these eleven brave men, were losing their song. And maybe you have lost your song. Consider the context of John 14. 1. Judas is in the process of betraying Jesus and them. That's just confusing. Peter, their leader, was just told that he would deny Christ, not once, but three times. 3. Jesus announces that he was leaving them. That doesn't sound good. But what Jesus is doing in John chapter 14 is looking deep into their worried hearts and giving answer to their deepest longings. I have formulated four possible questions the disciples may have asked and from them give you four answers or realities that are key and foundational to the Christian faith. Question number one. Have we made a mistake in wholeheartedly receiving Jesus? Can't you hear them? We, we gave up everything for this man. Our livelihood, our lives, everything. Now he's talking about leaving us? Did we make a mistake? Just listen to the answer of the Lord Jesus. Verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It's the reality that Jesus can be trusted by you. Believe in God. That's a statement, a fact, a certainty that they enjoyed. For the past 2,000 years before Christ, from the time of Abraham, they believed and trusted in God. In fact, God was the foundation of their lives. Everything in the Jewish mindset revolved around the reality of God. Their days, their weeks, their holidays, their festivals, their diets, their conversation, their work, their coming and going. Everything was God-centered. My mind went back to Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. They found their strength in God. 
They got solace and comfort from God's presence. They trusted and relied on God's promises. They valued the power of God as they considered their history. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Just as real and sure as God is, says Jesus, so am I. This, incidentally, is the central theme of John's Gospel. God and Jesus are one. You trusted in God? Now you need to trust in me. I have been with you for three years. I have taught you. I have spoken truth to you. I have lived by example before you. And now I must leave you and you need to trust me. Can you do that, Bartholomew? How about you, Thaddeus? Shall I start listing names in my local church? We don't have the privilege of being in a Jewish culture or seeing and living with Jesus in the first century, but but we have something above and beyond what they had. We have the canon of Scripture, the Word of God, the words of Jesus, written clear and plain. Take the words of Jesus personally. Apply them to your present situation. Listen to what he is saying to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What's he saying? You can trust me. I am the answer to your troubled heart. Like the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus can be trusted. The second question they may have asked is, what does the future hold for us? You're going to vanish into thin air, disappear off the face of the earth, and leave us all alone what will the end be? Will we ever see you again? His answer is very precious. Verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. It is the reality that heaven is being prepared for you. It is home for us, God's children. Some years ago, a London newspaper held a contest to determine the best definition of home. The winning entry was, home is the place where you are treated the best and complain the most. The poet Robert Frost said that home is the place that when you arrive there, they have to take you in. Not bad, but I think any of us could define our home in heaven in a much better way. Basically, Jesus is shining light into their dark situation and reminding them that they have something coming that is totally out of this world. In verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I feel this is a much deeper text than what we give it credit in the presentation of the gospel. Notice that it does not say, I am the way, no one comes to 
heaven except through me. Or I am the way no one comes to God except through me. Each are true, but he is speaking to his own about relationship to the Father. He is the way to the Father. He is the only means to all that the Father has to give. If we expect to tap into the resources of the Father, we get through we get this through the Son. Not just the way to heaven, but the way to all that the Father is. This is the wonder of true relationship with God our Father. He gives added truth from verses 7 down to 11. Uh, In verse 7, he says, To know me is to know the Father. Verse 9, To see me is to see the Father. Verse 10, To hear me is to hear the Father. Verse 11, To believe me is to believe the Father. He is the truth that reveals the Father to our hearts. In fact, it is the truth about Him that will reveal the deep things of the Father's heart. Colossians 2 says, In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the life and shares with us His very own life, eternal life, by which we can enjoy fellowship with the Father. Verse 19 says, Because I live, you shall live also. What beautiful words that remind us of what is in store for the child of God. I found Ravi Zacharias's book, Walking from East to West, very touching. It, it was both heartbreaking and inspiring to read about a life taken from the depths of despair and raised by God to a place of great usefulness. As he lived with his family in the crowded city of Delhi, India, he talks a lot about God in the shadows. He lived with the true love of a caring mother, but also with the rejection and violent anger of a father. He recounts one such occasion after his father found out that he was skipping school, and if he Uh, if it had not been for the intervention of his mother, would have been beaten to death. His father's summation of his life was etched into his mind. You will never make anything of yourself. He was also convinced of this. His only escape was the game of cricket in which he excelled, but his heart was desperate. Who am I and what am I doing? He had been asking himself day after day until he made the firm decision that life was no longer worth living. He said, A quiet exit will save my family any further shame and I will, and it will spare me any further failure. At the university lab, he grabbed some packets marked poison and went directly home. When the house was empty the next morning, He went into the washroom, bolted the door, let the water run from the tap, and drank the poison. It was the household servant that heard him throwing up, knocked uh, the door off its hinges. When he awoke uh, in the Wellington Hospital, his mother was at his side. Several days later, a man from 
Youth for Christ, realizing he was in no shape to talk, gave a Bible to his mother and, pointing to John 14, said, This is for Ravi. It was the conversation between Jesus and Thomas. She started uh, with the sentence in verse, uh, for, uh, verse 19, Because I live, you shall live also. It hit him like a ton of bricks. Live? Please read it again. Because I live, Jesus said, you shall live also. From that hospital bed, he received the author of life. He said, it was the most striking and noble-minded decision I had ever made. My life now belonged to Jesus Christ. The, half, the last half of the book describes his journey from Delhi to Toronto and eventually Atlanta, where God began using him in a very distinct and unique way in defending the truths of Christianity. What a great story, and what a wonderful reminder uh, of the fact that we have life presently in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we will have life forever and ever. Philip is a very interesting character in John's Gospel, and uh, he's also found in this chapter, and I, I would encourage you just to uh, do a little study on the life of Philip. In John 1, he was receptive. Just two words came from Jesus, follow me, and Philip responded. In John 1, he was eager. The very next verse, uh, he finds Nathaniel. John chapter 6, he was practical maybe lacking in faith, but from a human standpoint, a very practical person. Verse chapter 12, he was approachable. The Greeks came to him and told, uh, and he told the others. Here in chapter 14, verse 8, he was transparent. Show us the Father. He didn't mind exposing his lack of understanding. As far as history goes, he was fully committed. He preached in Turkey and was later martyred. In Heriopolis. And so, as I conclude this section, I just want you to remember this great reality heaven is being prepared for you. The third question that may have been raised is this How will we get what we need if you're not here? You were able to meet every need we have. Now that you're, you're leaving and we're alone, who will we turn to? His answer is found in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. It's as if I am right there. You won't see me, but I'll be there. Just ask. It is the reality that praying in Jesus' name works. The reality that praying in Jesus' name works. The disciples were weak in faith and needed to be reminded of the value of prayer. Very often, prayer is limited to a specific time in a specific position to be done in a specific manner. While having a place to pray alone in private is important, Prayer should be a continual, ongoing conversation between the child, uh, the child of God and, and their Heavenly Father. As Christians, there is never a time that we 
leave His presence and come back again. We live in His presence, and prayer is the expression of that reality. How is it that Jesus gives such a wide-sweeping entitlement to His disciples in John 14, 13, and 14 in relation to prayer? He said, And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. On the surface, it sounds like a signed check for whatever possible desire a believer might have. Lots of young men would love to drive around in the latest Lamborghini or who wouldn't want to take a year off school or work to uh, take a worldwide tour. We could take these verses a long way. But this is not what Jesus is saying at all. He is not telling us that prayer is like a child's birthday wish list. No. Prayer is entering into the realm of God, into the mind of Christ, into those things that relate wholly to His name. The Lord is anticipating in John 14 those who are walking in Christ and know the Father who are under the Spirit's control. What we are learning is that the more intimate the relationship with the Father, the more real and true our praying will be. Prayer in agreement with the desires of Christ will result in God's glory, not self-glory. So the lesson is this, praying in Jesus' name really works. The fourth question that may have come up is this, Will we survive? The whole world is against us. We feel so very much alone, so much like orphans. Will we survive? His answer comes out of verse 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. It is the reality that the helper will come to you. How beautiful is this? With the knowledge of Jesus leaving, these words must have brought such tremendous peace to their hearts. I will give you another helper. For three years, Jesus was their helper, and now it was necessary for him to return to the Father, and the Spirit of God would come to them and continue what the Lord Jesus had started. Notice the descriptive words used by Jesus in reference to the Spirit. There are two that I would like to highlight. Verse 16, He is the Helper, or the Divine Comforter. It says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. The word Helper literally means one called alongside to help. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit within us. He is present at all times and in all circumstances. They were assured that they would not be left in an orphanage to try to carry on in their own strength, but would have the ever-present help of the Comforter. We have the very same assurance. When no one else knows, He knows. 
When no one else is there to comfort, He is there to give solace. When no one else is there to protect your heart, He is there to watch over you. When no one else understands what you are dealing with, He understands. All that Jesus knew about them, the Spirit would know. Every need they had, just as Jesus had done, he would carry on in the very same way. He was a helper of the same kind. It is such a beautiful reality. Secondly, in verse 17, he is the spirit of truth or divine communicator. So we learn that he was the, the divine comforter and now the divine communicator. It says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world would not be able to receive him, but they and we would have his presence within us, not only to comfort, but to show, to reveal to communicate the truth of God to our minds and to our understanding. This is why the most intelligent of persons may not possess the deep truths of God as a child when, uh, who has the Holy Spirit of God within. He reveals the deep things of God. Never minimize the work of God's Spirit with you. Turn to Him, seek His help, and allow Him to have control in your life. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus said, Arise, let us be going. His upper room talk would conclude, but as they journeyed from there to the cross, he would continue to give them valuable teaching. It is my desire that these four realities from John 14 will help you in your present situation and walk with God. Thank you for listening, and next time we'll get into the truth of fruit-bearing from John 15. The Lord is your refuge, a very present help in times of trouble.